This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 34 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. We would like to thank our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products. They offer supplements designed to give you the most value for your dollars. Don't forget to visit them at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Debbie McDonald in Thousand Oaks, California, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Well, hi, Debbie. Welcome back. I, I, you know, last week I just had so much fun on that quiz show. You guys were great. <laughs> we had a blast. I have to tell you, I took it so seriously, though. I mean, I studied. <laughs> <laughs> I really studied, and when we had that question about, you know, what do these people have in common, I just was thinking, oh my gosh, I just read this. <laughs> so I was very, I was very, pro- you know, it was something I wasn't very good at school at was studying. So. It felt like I was back in school. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, you know, I tried to mix up the questions a little bit from, you know, to give it some diversity. And uh, it, you guys were so funny. I could tell you were taking it seriously. And, and Heather, on the other hand, was was just, <laughs> she was just out to have a good time. It was so I know. Funny. I mean, that's just, that's kind of me, you know. <laughs> I can't do anything and just have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now now you are, of course, the reigning champions, you and your assistant, Adrian Lyle, um, and we're going to have to find you two more contestants who will take you on to keep this quiz going. So, Oh, um, you're going to just put me under more stress now, huh? <laughs> that would be more studying involved. <laughs> but we'll give you a break, Debbie. It won't be quite yet. Okay, good. Uh, in the meantime, we've got a really good show this evening. You know, Hilda Gurney is, is our guest um, this week. And, you know, Hilda's just been a, a living legend in the sport, hasn't she, Deb? I mean, she's just been such a wonderful, uh, you know, inspiration and leader in the sport for so many years now. She really has. And, I mean, you know, Hilda's one that, like, you know, I said earlier, uh, she really honestly cannot say no to anybody Um Anybody that wants to learn and work, I mean, she'll take them on. And and I just, you know, I give her so much credit for what she's done for our sport and, uh, you know, the country. It's just she was one of the people that got it to where it, it is today. Yeah, well, we're going to look forward to be talking to her a little bit later on in the show. And uh, we also have a few items of news, though, Debbie. Uh, it's it's uh, it seems like it's the mid- well, it is the middle of the winter, and we're all under we're all under some really extreme weather here, especially down in Wellington too. But you know, the world of dressage keeps turning, and uh, uh, certainly things are happening over in in Europe as well as here. Um, and the one first piece of news is f- about Parsifal, of course, Adeline Cornelinson's horse. And uh, the, the great relief for Adeline, Adeline w- that was that she has now found an owner to secure the 100% ownership of the horse. She obviously was in a position, not in a position, to completely uh, buy the horse herself. So through, through a, a friend, through Austrians Herbert Yerick, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, she now has uh, secured... 
the ownership of that horse and uh, she'll continue to ride him. Um, Mr. Yerrick owns an international transport company and she's going to, he's going to be sponsoring Adeline through 2013. So uh, wow. the, the horse will change his name slightly. He'll be known as Yerrick Parcival. Um, but at least that does um, secure the ownership uh, with the co-owner, Hink Kurz, uh, who uh, wanted to sell his uh, half share of the horse uh, it back after the European jam- uh, Championships in August of last year. And uh, Adeline could not afford to buy him. But now uh, Yerrick has come to the rescue and, the, and she has uh, at least secured the future with, uh, with Parcival, who will be known as Yerrick Parcival. And that's, you know, that's a terrific relief for a rider isn't it Debbie you know when they've partnered a horse you've got it to a certain level you know and suddenly well she's on obviously a very valuable horse now isn't she oh there's no doubt um and I'm sure she's just so relieved I mean the pressure has to be great whenever you start to do well on a horse like that and the value keeps going up and then there is partnerships involved and it does happen that sometimes one partner wants to sell out and that's when a lot of riders do lose their horses and it's uh i i'm just very happy for her that they could work that out and she can continue on with the horse that she made absolutely well we know it's uh, she's going to be up there competing for the medals uh, this year for the world equestrian Games, so we look forward to seeing her over here later in the year and talking about raising money, Debbie, there was a wonderful fundraiser down in Wellington uh, just uh, a few weeks ago now where Succeed partnered with uh, Wellington Classic Dressage to raise funds for the United States Equestrian Team Foundation, and they succeeded in doing just that with raising over $20,000, and, and that was a, a wonderful event. It drew the top riders from different disciplines, including Stephen Peters, Gina Miles, Kate Levy, Lynn Palm, Karen and David O'Connor, Monty Roberts, and Chester Weber, just to name a few. It was a fantastic event. Uh, I had the privilege of emceeing that event down there at the Jim Brandon Arena um, Equestrian Center that is um, down in Wellington, Florida. So, uh, you know, congratulations to Succeed for initiating that fundraiser and contributing to to what is obviously a very vital purse now, isn't it, Debbie? Still raising money for the teams. That's a very expensive exercise, even when we're competing in our own country. Oh, boy, is it ever. And I think, you know, we just can't thank people enough that, that, you know, reach out to all the disciplines and and sponsor like this. Um, Without these people, it it is not possible to continue on with, with this with the sport and uh you know like i said it it's just wonderful that succeed came through for us and you know i'm would like to thank them myself <laughs> <laughs> well again yeah thanks thanks from from all of us and uh, we have to credit Lindsay white who is the domestic and international product manager over there at succeed who who uh, whose brain child that was, and that's now going to be an annual event, thanks to Lindsay. So we look forward to them raising more money in the future for the United States Equestrian Team Foundation. And uh, to mention, we cannot, we cannot complete the news this week without mentioning that just this week at the United States Equestrian Federation's annual convention, someone who has been another role model in the sport here for many years, Jessica Ransenhauser, she will be awarded the USCF Lifetime Achievement Award at the uh, convention's Pegasus Dinner there this weekend, which it takes place in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, of course, anybody who's been involved with the sport knows 
Jessica and the impact that she's had on this sport for so many years, Debbie. So it, it really is a, a wonderfully wonderful recognition for her to achieve this award and uh, such a well-respected uh, rider, coach, judge, ambassador for the sport in general. It, it just uh, you know that it's these people that really do need do deserve that those kind of accolades, isn't it? Oh, that's for sure. I mean, this award is well deserved by Jessica and. Um, you know, I've had many, many situations with Jessica from Brentina's very first international experience. And um, she's a wonderful lady and, and so knowledgeable and has done so much for the country. And, um, you know, I'm just I'm just delighted that they decided that she was, you know, worthy of this Lifetime Achievement Award. And uh, she truly is. Well, congratulations again to Jessica for uh, being uh, awarded the USEF Lifetime Achievement Award for 2009. Well, that wraps up our news of the week, Debbie. Um, We're going to take a short break here for a commercial, and then we'll be right back uh, with our guest this week, Hilda Gurney. So don't go away. We'll be right back. At Kentucky Performance Products, quality assurance is a key ingredient found in every product they sell. Each supplement is manufactured to exacting standards and certified facilities. Their ingredients are sourced from highly reputable suppliers, and their formulas are fixed to ensure consistency in each bucket. So what does the promise of quality assurance mean to you and your horse? It means you can trust that when you purchase a supplement from Kentucky Performance Products, you will see the results that you expect and the quality that you can count on. They guarantee it. Kentucky Performance Products, helping you keep your horses healthy, sound, and competitive. Visit them at kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. Well, Debbie, um, we, we're now blessed to, to have Hilda Gurney join us on the show here this week. And, um, and what an inspiration she's, she has been uh, from the days back in the 70s when she rode that lovely little thoroughbred Keen to an Olympic bronze medal at the 1976 Olympics. And, you know, she's a California girl, so not too far from you over there in, in, in Thousand Oaks, just up the road at, in, in Moore Park, I believe. And she's had an, an illustrious career. And, and uh, very like Jessica, we just mentioned, has made, made a wonderful con- contribution to the sport and, and has so much to offer, but st- both still as a very active rider, a coach, a very busy coach, and, and with many students, many horses, and also a, a re- well-respected judge. So I'm delighted to be able to uh, welcome Hilda Gurney to the show. Well, Hilda, thank you for join us, joining us on the show today, and, and we're, we're delighted you can. I know you, you, know, you're, you may be referred to as a lady of a certain age, but you're still as busy as ever, I understand. Yes, huh? Well, I surely am. Well, we should remind our listeners, as I said in my introduction, um, you know, you are an Olympic medalist from back in the 70s on that wonderful little thoroughbred Keen. Um, and since then, you've kept very, very involved with the sport as a trainer and, and judge. Um, how do you like to be considered these days uh, as a trainer or a judge? Which, which means the most to you? Actually, riding is still my favorite thing. Okay. You know, I'm not active in the international riding sport, but I'm still quite active nationally, and uh, I still ride a lot. That's my favorite. And then probably I like uh, training or teaching, instructing dressage, 
I do train a lot of horses. I still ride at least 15 a day, and I still judge a lot. So I do all of the above. Well, give us a little bit of an, an idea of, of your situation there. You've been, you're a California girl, of course. You've, been, you've always been, been in California, right? You were born and raised there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in, in Moore Park. And tell us about the, your situation there, your training establishment, how many horses you have, and what a typical day is like for you. Well, we have about 60 horses here. Some, a few are breeding stock. I probably own about 10. Um, my day is basically I ride two of my own, and then I usually ride depending on the morning and uh, how many customers are in town or out of town because I have a lot of adult amateurs. I ride usually about 15 total in the morning. And then around 8 o'clock we do PF clinic where we, I started five riding, and then we do the um, long reining. And then about 10 o'clock I start lessons, and I usually teach until about 7 at night. That's my normal day. And then weekends I judge horse shows or I eat riding horse shows. Right. Well, of course, you're just down the road from you, Debbie, isn't she, at Moore, Moore Park. You're, you're virtually neighbors. We are virtually neighbors, although um, I don't think we see each other except at a show. <laughs> um, and definitely I can, I can say that uh, years ago I worked with Hilda at her place, and it, was, it sounds like it has not changed one bit, and I am sure that she is just as efficient no matter what age she is. <laughs> I can't keep up with her energy-wise. I mean, she's like the Energizer Bunny. Well, it's great that you're enjoying such good health and are so active, Hilda. I mean, it's a testament to to you and your your you know your dedication to the sport. And I think riding is good for a person. What's that? Riding's good. Riding for, oh. is very healthy. It's a very healthy sport, isn't it? And it's and it's certainly good for the soul too. That's yeah, true. <laughs> so, so tell us about your um, the the horses that you have, and you, and you said you're not competing as much now, but uh, you're obviously doing an awful lot of training. What kind of horses are you riding now? Uh, I ride a lot of different horses. The ones I compete with my own are warm bloods. Usually, ones I my own horses I've bred and raised. I usually bred them, their mothers, their fathers, their grandmothers. By this time. Uh, my customers, I ride whatever they want me to ride. I ride Lusitanos, Andalusians, Arabians, Thoroughbreds, Warmbloods, you name it, I ride it. And what do you breed yourself? Uh, Tricaners and Oldenburgs. Right. And, and you've been doing this for a while, and I know you, you, you've been quoted as, as, as saying that, you know, that, we, that we should take the lead in, in this country in breeding dressage horses for dressage. Do you feel that you've achieved that with your breeding program? Well, I have been breeder of competitive dressage horses of the year, three years uh, in a row in the United States. Right. Excellent. So I've done something, but I haven't gotten a horse on the team yet. That still hopefully will happen someday. Do you think? Do you think yeah. that we that the breeding program here then is the state in the states is shifting in the, in the direction that you would like to see it go? It's improving, yes. As each generation goes, I mean, our foundation stock was mostly thoroughbred mares, so each generation you can bring the good semen over, and so each generation gets better. You're so dependent on the quality of the mares, right? 
And, and, and two, don't you think uh, um, another thing that's going to be, you know, vital to our programs looking like they're going anywhere, Hilda, don't you believe that these breeders have to get the horses in the right hands? Absolutely. That's the whole key. It doesn't matter how good a horse it is if somebody's learning to post on it or yanking it around or only using it for hacking, you know. The breeders have to. I mean, that's where Perry has been so good with your horses is he's, you know, about find the best horses in Germany, but then he puts them with a good rider like you, and you do something with them. So it's, it takes two. I always say the horse can't be better than the rider, and the rider can't be better than the horse. <laughs> it's all ultimately. Very true. And and I think in the past you you've also be been heard to say that we need to upgrade the the caliber of instruction around the around the country. You know, starting at the grassroots uh, to to produce more. That's happened. That's happening, huh? Uh, do you think? That's happened. California in in California, the instruction quality is superb. We have the best instructors in the world. We have Gunther. We have Debbie. We have Stefan. I mean, we have fantastic instruction here. And we have Hilda. And we have Hilda. Yeah, I get to start everybody. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but you know some of our listeners might say well the, you know the Gunters and the Debbies and, and the Stephens they're great for the upper level riders what about at the grassroots level have you achieved where that, what, what you would hope to, to see happen uh, in California particularly in California we're very strong we're very strong in my little town of Moore Park there must be 30 top flight dressage instructors in this town Wow. That, yeah, it's that, not a big town. Yeah, that's that's amazing. What what do you attribute that to and and, and, and over what kind of time frame do you think it's taken to, to get to that depth of instruction? I started the LA chapter Los Angeles chapter of Dressage way back in the late fifties. So what it's that's uh, sixty years. <laughs> Yes. And I had trouble getting eight people to um, even come to the area to ride in the clinic. When we got Colonel Youngquist and Francis Rohovansky to come in for clinics, it was hard to even get eight people. So it's come from that, and that was in the early 60s. What, what, what do you feel, Debbie? I mean, you, you, you've, you've watched the, you know, the growth of the sport on the West Coast there. Um, what do you think has been the contributing factors to it? And, and I'm sure, surely, obviously, Hilda has played a part in that, a huge part. Well, I would say it played a huge part in the history of U.S. dressage, period. Um, and definitely, I mean, when you talk about... Uh, you know, somebody like Hilda that started the L.A. chapter. I mean, you know, this is truly a person that's dedicated her life and into bettering the sport and educating people. And I've never known Hilda to say no to anyone, whether they've had five million or five cents. And I think, you know, it really says a lot about a person when they really are looking out for the best interest of the horse and the sport. It's pretty rare. Well, I think you've done a hell of a lot, too. (laughs) 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 
Well, as you mentioned, you're also a judge, Hilda. Spend a lot of time judging. What do you see has been the changes that have taken place in the sport? I know you've been quoted in the past as saying we need to, to do something about changing the structure of, of, of how we judge. Uh, what, what do you see the changes um, that, we've, that you've experienced over recent years? I think judging has improved a lot, and I think it's going to continue to improve. Right now, I think they're picking on the judges a little too much, um, especially the international judges, because you have to remember they're all volunteers. And yes. in the States, it takes tens of thousands of dollars to become a judge. And uh, you don't make very much judging. I mean, if I judge a horse show, I lose perhaps $1,000 a day, because I, I make that if I stay home and give lessons. But you need good judges. But I think um, most judges are really sincere and really try to help the sport and um, in general do the job. And I think we have to just, you know, try to just make it so the judges can judge what they see in an honest way and try to keep that the important criteria. And I, I think we're doing that, but right now I think the judges are getting a little bit too leaned on. Why do you feel that is? Why, why do you think that, that they're, they're the ones that, uh, you know, have been criticised and they have taken a lot? I mean, you've seen this too, haven't you, Debbie? I mean, around the world. Um, and, oh, and yeah, it's... for sure. Yeah. yeah, everything's a judge's fault now. So. <laughs> <laughs> we have to remember that it is a subjective sport. And if you get too crazy, um, you'll end up with... The, all the pressure that all the judges judge exactly the same, then why have so many judges? Have one judge. Because when you are judging, one, you have different emphasis. If a horse has flatter gates, one judge might go five on everything and one judge might go six on everything. That's 10 percentage points on how you, or if a horse leans a little to one judge, that might be a really big fault. Another judge might enjoy the other attributes, such as the lateral suppleness and the expression and the brilliance of the horse, and not be so harsh on the leaning. And these are subjective, and these will always exist. I think the pressure for all the judges to judge the same is a little too much. Also, when you judge from the side, you see the quality of the gates. You don't see straightness and bend. When you judge from the front, you see much more straightness, bend, precision, you don't see as much the quality of the gates. And there is so much pressure right now to have everyone judge the same. And that's unrealistic. What's your thought, yeah, I think, Debbie? Well, well I, think, I think Hilda's absolutely right in, in that respect. I think, um, I think the only thing that sometimes gets, gets disheartening as a competitor is when you see Judges, for sure. You can be, one judge can be 10 points lower, but then it, it should go along with the rest of the, the day. In other words, if that judge is just a 10-point lower scorer, but they all pretty much are in the same ballpark, that is, I think that's totally normal. And, and what, absolutely right, one judge is going to score one thing, maybe give it a point higher than another. Um, but it's when a certain person will come in the ring and then you see that person that was 10 percentage points lower all of a sudden be, you know, 10 to 15 percentage points higher. That's when it gets discouraging from a competitor's point of view. But I do totally understand where Hilda's coming from and the pressure that is on these judges. It is, it is outrageously 
cool, I think, at the moment, to be honest. But, you know, it, everything kind of started to unfold after the Olympics, and it's kind of just snowballed, I think. What do you see as a solution to this then, moving forward, Hilda? I mean, you have such experience uh, judging at all levels, and and you've seen the changing trend. What 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 are some solutions as we move forward here into the into a new decade? Well, the solutions are the continued judges' forms, where the, there's a consensus from the FEI on how things are scored down, and what quality is necessary for various scores. And that um, that's being done. I think we need more of that, um, where the consensus, you know, it's just like right now the whole thing's going around, at least in the States, about the tongue out on Parsifal. And I guess the score ranged from 61 to 73 on that ride where he put his tongue out. And then, you, you know, get the question, the FBI says it's two points off the mark you would give. When you see it, well, half the time you don't see it, depending on where you sit again. And, you know, if you're, the tongue's out on one side, and most of the tests are it's when the horse goes the other way, you don't see it. You know, that, but that's a too big a discrepancy. 12 percentage points is too much, or 13 in this case, not 12. Anyway, things like that need to be better defined. But, you know, we judges are sending all emails asking for the old judges to define this, and they do. So... um it's something, you know, we are trying to communicate and solve among ourselves as judges. I have a question, and I and it's just, you know, something that I wondered if you thought would ever happen. Or um, a lot of times when you go to the horse shows and you watch in the warm-up ring and you see things that you you think are a little dicey and maybe a TV should maybe just step somebody a little bit off to the side, but there's been several times that I've seen the TDs be very intimidated or felt that they were overstepping their boundaries by doing so. Do you think in the future that there would ever be a place for someone like a judge to be sitting out there to help police what they feel is going on, or do you think that would never happen or is not even realistic? Well, I've had the same thing happen. As a judge, I've seen dicey things, and I've gone to the TDs, and... The, I've I've had the riders try to intimidate both the TDs and me, and I know this happens. And what you need is the strong TD, but you also need an association that will back up the TDs. And our association, unfortunately, does not back up the TDs very well. And uh, you need that TDs to have more support and be a little more free from being attacked by attorneys and lawyers trying to upheld the rules. So it's it's a little bit of a two-way street. We need more protection for the TDs. Yeah. Uh, well, let me I mean, ask look what you the this. judges are going yeah. through. <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you this, Hilda. Do you think the, the, ch- the changing trend then and the attitude towards judges is is or may affect um, the intake of new judges. Do you think that they may be discouraged? Anyone looking at the sport now, thinking, "Oh gosh, you know, I don't think I want to be in the hot seat um, because there isn't the support structure for them, um, and that we're not to a place where the judges are as comfortable as they should be in judging a, a test, any test at any level." Do you think it's putting? Well, I'm amazing, mate. No, I understand your question. I'm sorry. 
I'm amazed that there isn't uh, more trouble getting judges already, considering they're volunteers, they're not paid, uh, and there is so much pressure on them. But so far, there seems to be people willing to do it just because of the beauty of the sport. I mean, it's so beautiful to watch good rides. You just sit there in the best seat in the house for free. And uh, fortunately, the sport's so beautiful that a lot of us are very happy to do it for the, the just to observe the beauty of the good rides. Do you have anything to add to that, Debbie? Do you see? I mean, do you see a, you know people thinking twice about judging uh, because of? You know, I still, from what I've observed, I still see quite a few you know people going out there. Like Hilda said, it's incredibly expensive to become a judge, but I still see several people still wanting to um, to pursue their license, which I think is, like I said, very admirable because. Right now, they are taking their in the hot seat, and it uh, it would be a little intimidating, I think. But so far, at least what I've observed, I still see people willing to want to go on and get their license. Yeah, the seat may be hot, but it's still the best seat in the house. <laughs> well said, Hilda. Well said. Well, when you're in the other seat, that is when you're a rider these days, Hilda. What? Tell us a little bit about your, you know, what your level you're competing at, and and, and what horses you have. Well, I have a horse in a cross ties pawing right now. Um, I'm just starting this horse, Pre Saint George. I let my assistant take over the horse I showed Grand Prix a year ago. Um, to get some experience showing Grand Prix. And I, this is a nice horse. It's a horse I bred. He's by Winter Prince out of a daughter of a Grand Prix mare I rode called Lavinia. And he's registered Oldenburg, and he could be registered Hanoverian because both his parents are approved Hanoverian. And um, he's just a really nice horse. He's seven coming eight. He's 18 hands, a little big for me. But he grew. And he's just really nice to ride. So um, I'll probably be showing show him this coming weekend. Are you going to the show in uh, Thermal this coming weekend, Debbie? Yes, we are. Yeah. So I will be there with you. Oh, good. Good, good. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. So, you know, you're, you're obviously maintaining your, your riding fitness, your, your in, endurance, and, and we're going to be watching you at competing for many years to come. You're a terrific example to us, Hilda. Wouldn't you say, well, Debbie? Thank you. Absolutely, I, you know, I, I, like I said, I can't keep up with her. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hilda, we we have had some listener response to you coming on the show, so we have a question for you. Uh, in fact, it's in two parts. We'll take the first part first. Can you give her any pointers on achieving a square halt? Uh, what really helps with a square halt is having someone on the ground who can spot it for you or halting in front of mirrors. And you can also work them in hand working on halting square and rewarding them when they're uh, square. And if they leave a leg behind, just touching the leg in hand with a whip or even under saddle with a whip and bringing the leg up and then rewarding them. And if you practice this, uh, it's, it's very easy to achieve. Right. And her next question is about breeding, um, showing horses in hand. She says, how important is the size of a horse as an in-hand breeding class, in an in-hand breeding class? It's not supposed to be a criteria. But, you know, I mean, if you're judging horses, you wouldn't want to have a pony, you know. But 
it's not supposed to be a criteria, although if you have two even equal horses, you'd probably prefer a horse that was between 16 hands and 17 too, because below 16 hands, often they don't have enough presence, although there's exceptions. And above 17 too, they're often harder to transport and keep sound and all of those things. Okay. Well, Christina has a trachana mare that's under 15-2 and would like to show her in hand, but wondered how much her small height would affect her, her scoring. She also wonders how important it is to pull a mane for any class, in hand or under saddle. And she said, our horses spend much time pastured or conditioning on the trails, and I like to have them have their naturally long mane, fetlocks, ear hair, etc. She likes to leave that natural. And how there, does there's a- no, You never need to pull the mane. I show Andalusians and... Frisians and Arabians all with long manes, and we simply French braid them right yes. along the crest. And if they're really thick, we put a braid on each side of the crest. I call it a fillet of salmon. When you, it looks like a fillet of salmon <laughs> from the top when you braid on each side of the crest. But that it looks beautiful. Yeah, it does. And, and in fact, the question is then, how strongly does a longer mane, if braided up in a fr- long French brain, affect your first impression compared to a pulled mane? Oh, I mean, I, that's no, it's not a criteria. It's never considered. Not considered. I, when I judge, I don't consider size. I don't consider color. I don't consider breed. I do consider type. I want a dressage type, an uphill type. And, of course, movement and correctness of confirmation. But the, the things such as color and, and how a mane is, ne- I never even think about it. It never enters my mind. Well, I always appreciate answer. a good rating job, however. There you go. And she asked, finally, Hilda, do all countries clip their horses' legs and ears, and etc.? No, all countries don't clip their horses' legs and ears. I do trim my horses' fetlocks and uh, muzzles. I don't clip ears because we have so many gnats at so many of our shows. It's not really smart to clip the ears. Um, but... And I do clip whiskers, although a lot of people don't. But I do because when the horses foam at the mouth and they get the white foam on the whiskers, it can look like they have a tongue problem sometimes when you're judging. So I think it's smart to at least get the whiskers at a reasonable size so they're not hanging four inches full of white foam. <laughs> you know, a very interesting follow-up to that is when um, when I was at the jog at the WEG, um, I was um, reprimanded by the ground jury there for having a clipped muzzle because they said it is illegal in Germany and that uh, they would remember me, and if I was ever to show up with clipped whiskers again, I would get in trouble. So that that was very interesting. First time I've ever had that said to me. So, you know, we always would keep the whiskers long when we know we're going to Europe, but otherwise... We keep them clipped as well. well yeah, I think it's good not to let them get to four inches. That gets a little too much. Yeah. Just, you know. <laughs> Well, good advice for uh, for you there, Christina. I hope that was helpful, and we appreciate you uh, picking up those questions. And um, Hilda, thank you so much, and and thank you for spending time with us today. It's been a real treat having you on the show, and I hope you'll come back again. Thank you very much for having me. Well, great to hear from Hilda, Debbie. Um, you know, these people are just the stalwarts of the sport, and, you know, we, we, we are so blessed that, you know, we have a sport where people can continue to ride for well into their, you know, their advancing years. And I can't see 
anybody stopping Hilda for a long time yet. <laughs> no, there's no stopping Hilda, that's for sure. She is like, you know, I, the no other I've ever met. She is just continually amazes me. Wonderful, wonderful energy. Well, it was a delight to have her on the show, and I hope she'll come back again in the future. We'll we'll uh, be watching her her uh, competing, and uh, uh, and that's this weekend. You'll you'll be competing in at the same show, so you'll have to come back and tell tell me if you learned a few tips and tricks from her. Okay, I will do that. <laughs> well, t- talking about tips and and tricks, uh, Debbie. You know, we talked about turnout there. We had that question question from a, a listener. Um, Turnout is really, really important, and I want to really make that our tip of the week and uh, and emphasize how important turnout is to our sport. So, uh, what, what what thoughts do you have on that, Debbie? Well, I you know as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to turning out a horse, I think there's a lot of pride that someone has to put into that. And whether you you're, you're your own groom or you have a groom, I think that it should uh, it should truly be one of the top of the list when you want to go out there and show your horse off you should make sure that it is looking it's it's possible best if that and that means a lot of spit shine and uh clean legs no shavings in the tail um whether someone chooses to to clip whiskers or not clip whiskers or you know whatever that case may be people have preferences and and that is still has no bearing on the turnout of the horse. And um, it really discourages me when I see horses going in the horse shows and they, you know, go in the first day with, I would say, marginal-looking braids. Certainly nothing that you know, I would say was, was stellar, but nonetheless, the horse was braided. But then to see that, that rider allow the horse to go back to the stall and continue with those braids for the remainder of the show to me is not acceptable um first of all it would be like you braiding your hair really tight and leaving it in i mean it's not comfortable they want to rub them and they itch on them and then some people shut the doors so that the horses can't rub and it's just to me not acceptable i mean i think there should be a score on those tests for this <laughs> because it does really, really upset me to see those things going on. And, you know, like I said, it, it, it should be a reflection of the rider when a, when a person goes in the arena and goes down center line. So I would really like to see good horsemanship come back into the sport in that degree. Oh, great advice, you know, but it's all about giving a good impression and you don't you don't want the judges to be distracted about the things that are offensive to the eye and are noticeably, you know, not up to a standard that you would expect of people that are showing off their horse to the best of their ability, right? Uh, that's right. I mean, you know, and, and it even goes as far as somebody cleaning up their area around the stall. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just respect. It's just you know, it's just nice to take a rake. It takes less than five minutes to rake up the 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 shavings that you've cleaned from the stall and the, the hay that's been thrown around and just wet down your area and keep it raked. I mean, those things are just, they're, they're little things that, that really mean a lot about how you care and take care of your animals, I think. It really, it really shows you know, how sincere you are about what you want to present. 
And and self-respect too, respect for your own um, horse and, and your own turnout, and, and that will come across from, from right back in the barn at home all the way to the arena. So I think that's sound advice. Thank you, Debbie, for that. Well, Debbie... Uh, I, I, I'm just delighted that you're joining us here on the Dressage Radio Show because you really up the class of the show here every week. You know, we have some wonderful co-hosts here and uh, uh, it's wonderful to hear uh, the the response that we're getting from our listeners. And uh, I'm going to make you blush in a minute because I've got some really delightful emails from some others. In fact, uh, we're going to start with one from Heather. She writes, Hooray for Debbie McDonald." I have long admired her as a rider and thought many times that she was robbed of higher places, but so good to hear her being prepared to speak out publicly for classical, humane training. Good on you, Debbie. You are a true horsewoman in every sense of the word. All best, Heather. How about that? Oh, Heather, thank you so much. That means a lot. I mean, for me, um, you know, those are the things that you, part of the reasons you do what you do, for me that was. And um, just to to have people, you know, think about me in this way really makes me feel good. And it makes me, you know, the time in was definitely worth it. Well, so. it doesn't it doesn't stop there, Debbie, because we hear, also hear from Dawn. She writes, I enjoy your show. Debbie McDonald is a great co-host. I enjoyed the show with the adult amateur as that is where I am. I am an adult beginner. It would be nice to hear what the adult amateurs have problems with, etc. And also, can you come cover some of the shows? We would like to. It'd be nice to hear from uh, about Wellington shows um, of course, we would. We, we will be covering shows and results. So we, we do that throughout the year, and of course, the Wellington season is picking up now. So yes, we will be um, covering results, Dawn. So stay tuned here. And um, obviously, you, you've got a future here as a as a radio host, Debbie. Because look at this, another email. <laughs> Thank you, Dawn. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have an email from Betty. Betty writes, I just discovered your radio shows two weeks ago and love them all. And, of course, those of you who know, are familiar with the Horse Radio Network will know that we have several of the shows. And, the, and uh, as uh, Betty says, there's a lot for me to listen to, but so far my favorite was on the Dressage Radio Show, the interview with Tammy Hogue. As an avid reader, I'd love to hear from some of my favorite authors that are also equestrians, and she gives some examples there. So, uh, Betty, we're We'll take notice of, uh, of your uh, suggestions and see what we can do for you here. And thanks again for writing in. And finally, our last email this week is from Elizabeth, uh, who really enjoyed the last episode with Scott Hassler. And you remember, Debbie, we talked to Scott about producing young horses. Yes. That so was that a great was, show. That was a great show. And uh, Elizabeth writes how she, she was very impressed with how soon... Um, <laughs> from her request because she'd actually wrote in before and asked if I could get him on the show and she was very pleased that we were able to and uh, how quickly we were able to produce that show and that's thanks to Scott being available to us of course she found it very interesting and looks forward to him coming back with future tips and uh, thank you again for that Elizabeth it's great to hear from all of you keep those emails coming keep the fan mail coming for Debbie we'll make sure she gets it (laughs) (laughs) yes thank you everybody I love it (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and a few weeks ago, I mentioned a book that Stephen Clark has written called Dressage Dreams. And a few of you uh, mentioned that uh, you were waiting for me to post that link. Well, I finally, po- finally posted a link. It's on our fan, fan book uh, page. I also tweeted it. So uh, you can find that. We'll put that on our show notes. Uh, that's lewishardingpublications.com. That's where you can order the book from. And, again, you'll find that on our show notes as well as you'll find all our other notes um, on dressageradio.com. Don't forget that fan page. It's becoming more and more active. And you can visit that at Facebook. You can also follow me at Twitter at Chris E. Stafford. And I'll post, I post uh, the new updates on, the, on, on when the shows are going to be posted. And also Horse Radio. And our official social network, as ever, is Equestrian Life. They can be found at equestrianlife.com. And if you have any questions for Debbie or any of our guests on the show, or anything at all, you can contact me at chris at horseradionetwork.com. I'll make sure those emails get to Debbie uh, with your questions. And if you prefer, you can leave a voicemail at 270-803-0025. Finally, we'd like to thank our sponsors, as ever, for making these shows possible. And thank you for listening to us here every week on the Dressage Radio Show. We're going to have more quizzes, Debbie, because, you know, the, the you've thrown down the gauntlet now. <laughs> okay, well, just tell me when so I have plenty of time to study. <laughs> well, one of the other ideas that came out of last week, of course, well, the, the, the quiz show last week, was um, that we should have a quiz between the eventing radio show uh, um, current champions, we have to call you, and Mm -hmm. the Dressage Radio Show current champions. So I can see that coming up maybe in a few weeks' time, maybe in uh, February, before we get out of the winter and and people get too busy. I think it's a great way to spend the the winter months is uh, enjoying some just downright good fun with us here on the Dressage Radio Show. So I think you and Adrian... Uh, Debbie, need to take on Karen O'Connor and her groom, Max Corcoran. (laughs) Okay, you've got to give us tips a little bit about what we're going to be talking about. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we won't get too technical into their sport, and we won't expect them to get too technical into your sport. So I think it'll be a lot of fun, so we'll have a champion here. Uh, And we'll keep this going. We'll keep this going. Yeah, it is fun. I think it's great fun. All right. Well, thanks for being such a good sport, Debbie. Thanks as ever to joining us here on the show. You've got a busy week, um, as you said, uh, going to a show in Thermal. Are you are you riding yourself or just your students? No, no, just uh, Adrian and a couple, and a few other students. I I don't really compete anymore. I just do the ground. I mean, I ride at home, but then I basically just do all the coaching. Wonderful. All right. Well, have a great weekend there in, in Thermal. Come back and tell us about it in a couple of weeks' time when you'll be back here on the show, I'm sure. And uh, in the meantime, I'll keep gathering all your fan mail. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you all have a safe ride. <laughs> <laughs>